0: New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 499. I'm your host Paul Spain and with me today, David Ings. How are you David? Yeah, good thanks. Good. Now, Maybe you can fill listeners in where where you fit into this big wide world of uh, tech
1: here in New Zealand. Yeah, sure. Um, so background is building uh, cloud technology companies, and uh, this time round in this venture really looked at where the future of robotics and by robots I mean the ones you're thinking about—they've got arms, they've got legs, they've got rotors—and uh, where where um, how people would be managing robot robotics, autonomous robotics in the future. So uh, myself and a co-founder, Richard, have actually built a platform that coordinates. And monitors uh, autonomous robots.
0: That's very cool. Well, really looking forward to uh, diving in and talking uh, robots during during this uh, this episode. Um, first up, though, let's run through sort of some of the tech news of the week. Garmin hit with a big uh, ransomware attack, so we're uh, so we're told. How's that impacted you? Are you a Garmin uh, user?
1: Yeah, um, I'm one of those aspirational Garmin users that didn't notice because I didn't go for a run this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when we spoke about it, checked my app, and sure enough, it's still down.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, it's quite a big you know a big deal when an organisation is is hit with ransomware in a lot of cases. Um, but I think what is different about this one is that a lot of the general public are impacted. So, you know, often when I'm having discussions with people about cybersecurity, about ransomware, there seems to be a disconnect in terms of that a lot of people just don't think it's it's too important. And I often use this analogy of comparing our... Uh, you know, catering to sort of cyber security appropriately within our organizations in the same way that we do with backups yeah and if you if you look back you know for those of us that are old enough at least if you if you look back you know, say 20 years um, you know 20 years ago people didn't necessarily back everything up and over time, you know, we got used to this, this reality with computers that sometimes you lose data. Mm. And so it got to a point where you know, it was just one of those things. You, you, know, you have to be at a point where all your data is backed up once, twice, however many times, yeah. however many mechanisms. Obviously we've got you know cloud based backups and so on now. And so everyone just takes it for granted that you must have your data, you know, backed up if yeah. there's any, you know, shred of importance to it. But when it comes to thinking about cybersecurity Often that doesn't get the same level of um, uh, maybe well, it's certainly not as easily understood as backups, right? I mean that's very you know much closer to a, a black and white type thing. Um, although of course it's it's never quite as simple as that, and and you know, so many organisations have had issues where they've gone to try and restore you know something from backup at some point, and mm-hmm. oh we weren't monitoring that right, or you know something happened. Uh, but those things have got more robust in, in recent years, but. There's still that sort of level, I think, where most people haven't been heavily impacted by, for instance, a ransomware attack for it to actually be something that's that's really on their on their radar and is important to them to, mm. you know for them to consider um, but I think you know maybe this one is is maybe the first of you know hopefully there aren't many but you know re- realistically uh, you know I think that there's such a financial incentive for cyber criminals to uh, you know be involved in, in in cyber crime whether it's ransomware or you know other things that this you know probably won't be the last uh, cyber crime that, that impacts Uh, a a large-ish segment of um, Mm. the population, right?
1: No, not not at all. Uh, And again, this is quite a different attack to what happened to Twitter uh, recently as well, which is more related to the insiders. And uh, I mean, we might even talk about that later around robotic security. But um, for for us, it was the first feature we built was a cybersecurity model rather than than last. And we think that's going to be a very big issue for the robotics industry going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Twitter one, and we ended up not having... um, you know, space to delve into it last week cause it probably would have taken up the whole, whole agenda. But I mean, yeah, that, that I guess is you know um, something that that reveals the um, yeah the other side of cyber cybersecurity, which is the the, the human element, right? Yeah. And that's that's you know always part of it. And yeah, I'm sure that. Uh, Many of the folks at Twitter will be licking their wounds a, you know a little bit after seeing you know, so many of their their most important accounts have been you know having been uh, compromised for a period of time you know a whole yeah. bunch of people uh, out of out of pocket with the uh, Bitcoin uh, scams that mm. were that were going on although one thing I noticed yesterday um, I was um, sitting sitting in the in the car um, I just yeah you know, come back from a meeting and uh, there was there was a, a bit of content that I wanted to see so I, I um, flicked on uh, YouTube in and the car I was ah oh, I'll just have a look you know here and um in the in the Tesla I don't, don't have the the YouTube uh, account sort of signed you know signed in as such mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware so it was just you know quite generic but it popped up with. A video that was live streaming to do with Bitcoin, wow, and basically a Bitcoin scam that mm-hmm. was like, hey, you know, for each, you know, you send anything from point point one Bitcoin to whatever, and we'll send you back twice as much. Now, in the in the top left-hand corner of the the video was. Um, who was it? Oh, it was the uh, Winklevoss uh, twins who were, you know, involved in Facebook and or with Mark Zuckerberg and so on in the early days. I think they ended up getting quite a big, a big, uh, you know, payout mm. um, from from Facebook. But and that, you know, they've had heavy involvement with. Um, with Bitcoin and, and, and crypto. And so there was this legitimate video on the screen, but it was basically surrounded by a whole lot of dodgy stuff. And it said there were huge numbers of people watching this stream, wow. which is undoubted, and maybe a whole lot of them were bots, mm. but undoubtedly that would have been the reason why the YouTube algorithm would have pushed that to to the top. Mm. And you had this sort of moving bar showing how much you know money people have put in, and yet we're giving away whatever it was you know it was like we're giving away 5000 bitcoins or something Unreal. and then yeah. it was just like oh, massive scam alert but mm. that that was yeah this reality so yeah there are just so many different ways that we're going to going to you know continue seeing i think cyber crimes taking place right yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Oh well, it's very, uh, I think, very astute that you know you would see that with RoCos as as being you know one of the one of those foundational um, focuses for you to really um, you know get started with.
1: Yeah, That's and right? I, I think in our industry, you know, we, um, you know, my co-founder Richard worked in the banking industry in London, and we talk about the fact that uh, the cybersecurity has to be more secure than banking, because in banking the worst case scenario somebody loses their money, whereas with robotics you have these two ton. Devices uh, on the end of the API, and people get hurt. So the cybersecurity model is more important than ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really important. Yeah, just have, having a look at uh, Garmin's sort of status page at the moment, and it's not uh, uh, it's not red everywhere as it was uh, the other day, but it's it's orange and green, and you know, Garmin Golf is online, uh, live track is online, Garmin. Divers online, uh, but you know lots of other things in sort of you know partial, partial states. So, yeah, you know, I don't know whether pilots have got their capabilities back yet, and um, and so on. Just you know, just looking at this, it's uh, yeah, it's very much a, a work in progress. So um, I hope it pans out well for them, but I, but I also hope it becomes a you know a bit of a a bit of a shake up for for others. And um, yeah, let's just see how it plays out, and hopefully they'll reveal some. More details around what happened. Yeah, uh, you know, did they pay up the ransom and, and so on? Often, this information gets revealed through maybe non-official channels, which is how it came out that they'd uh, they'd been hit by ransomware, and mm. people were sending screenshots and other things and releasing them. Which, yeah, probably internally they wouldn't have felt so good about. But I noticed their share prices already bounced back to to to, to what it was. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. People have a. Um, I don't know, don't give too much importance to these things, but um, I'm, yeah, certainly heard a few conversations around people saying, oh, is it time to to ditch the Garmin, you know, jump to an Apple Watch, something else, Mm. Um, even just in the short, yeah, what was it? I mean, less than five days that they were down. Sure. Yeah. Um I see uh, Slack are accusing uh, Microsoft of illegally uh crushing competition we were chatting earlier uh you use you use uh, Slack in house I believe Yes we do Yeah it's interesting to to see Microsoft getting um uh I guess this yeah this attention from a, a perspective of uh, uh anti antitrust trust uh, yeah. type you know seems anti like competitive type complaints that's that's something that sort of plagued them 20 or, yeah, or was 20, about to say, 25 like 25 to years ago <laughs> uh, and they've been i think they've been they've worked pretty hard to avoid it well may, maybe because microsoft have been Mostly in a position where they just didn't have the level of dominance that they had in the 90s, right? But I'm sure they've also been, you know, been quite mindful because it really tied up their business for, you know, quite a period of years in terms of litigation and so on. And interesting that this complaint has been filed uh, in Europe, where you know the regulations there. Uh, yeah, probably somewhat stronger than what they are in the U.S. in in terms of these uh, these matters. And so, uh, even though you know, I think Slack's a U.S. company, as is, of course, Microsoft. So, yeah, and an an interesting um, an interesting take, and, and you know centers on the fact that effectively Microsoft, are, you know, are, are, are building out a broad productivity suite and. One of the tools, uh, you know, just happens to compete with Slack. Although, you know, for many years Slack have been saying we don't, you know, Microsoft don't compete with us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Uh, I think they must be finally sort of seeing that it's it's very, very hard for them to make new sales when businesses uh, subscribe to Microsoft Suite uh, because. Yeah, when it comes down to signing the checks, as it, mm-hmm. as it were, uh, I guess it's all it's digital these days. But yeah. you know, approving that expenditure when you've got a tool that does very much the same thing, and it's, you know, I guess, effectively you know free when it's part of a you know a bundle offering. I, I mean, I, I I would imagine uh, that you can buy. Microsoft Teams separately, I'm you know, pretty sure you can with all of their offerings. There is sort of separate pricing, um, but yeah, when you when you buy that Teams offering uh, mm. or the Microsoft offering, that's that comes part and parcel. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I think they're pushing here that Microsoft should break Slack uh, should break Teams out, so that it's an individual cost for an organisation to pay. Uh, rather than a a bundled offering, which is
1: interesting. Yeah, I think this technology evolves and it's so heavily integrated. I saw this week my uh, Google... Mobile app, my Gmail app suddenly popped up with a whole bunch of new meet features. Yes, uh, and so Google's obviously also looking at where they play in the chat space and the video conference space, and they are heavily integrating their suite. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out.
0: Yeah, it seems as though uh, Google are really stepping up their game on on that front, and yeah, they maybe haven't been taken you know quite so seriously. Certainly, you know, in the the broader media. Discussions, which which give you a little bit of insight in terms of what people are commonly using, you know, as far as video, the video side, it was all Zoom, 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 um, but a bit of Microsoft Teams sort of coming into, yeah, you know, even those mainstream media uh, discussions, uh, Slack, and uh, yeah, maybe you know, not so much. That's more on the, I guess, on the the, the chat type uh, communication side. Um, but it does seem Microsoft are, are gaining traction. But I mean, Google have a huge user base, and if they can if they can nail it and get their offerings right in this space, mm-hmm. you would tend to imagine that they they're going to gain uh, you know a fair bit of traction. And that will also make life harder for for Zoom and for for Slack, right? Yeah,
1: and Zoom always had a dominance because our network connections were not that great. And Zoom had a technical advantage over other people that their video connection was just better than everyone else's. And now as our pipelines get bigger and bigger, it doesn't make as much of a difference. So they're actually losing some of that advantage. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, well, uh, we'll see over time. I I had... um, one of my team today was was chatting to I think somebody within the, the world of you know technology distribution uh, recently and it was around these new you know meeting room type systems that are starting to become quite prevalent you walk into a meeting room and it's you know it's just totally geared up with a dedicated zoom room system or uh, teams uh, room system and uh, the comment there was uh, in this case, that it seems as though something like 75 to 80 percent of these room systems that and this particular company uh, was finding that people were you know in terms of their what they were choosing uh, because you know we look at the vendors and they're they're often doing uh, you know the same hardware but available to run Microsoft teams or to run the, the zooms uh, zoom room system uh, but 75 to eighty uh, percent opting for the teams uh, offering, which interesting. I was actually you know, quite uh, uh, quite su- surprised to hear, but the, I guess that's the level of traction that mm. we're seeing in the local market may well be quite different in, in other markets. But yeah, uh, yeah, certainly Microsoft uh, seemed to have. Picked up their their game, I think. Uh, you know, in the past, sometimes they would they would get beaten and you know mm. would, would never be able to get back in the game. But uh,
1: yeah, we but, see a stark uh, difference between the size of organisation. You know, medium size organisations might go for teams, and the really large corporates will be on Webex or something like yes, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, Webex isn't the isn't the most smooth experience often, but none of these tools are perfect, are mm. they? And it and it is very dependent on. Connectivity and varying other things, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, now, on to uh, Apple. It was um, interesting seeing news that uh, Apple are uh, beginning to assemble um, iPhone 11 in India. And, you know, we've talked about the, the I guess the different sort of geopolitical realities that are, that are going on and impacting things. Um, India is in this uh, position where they've got that scale of China and so they're able to to control things more than you know most other countries. I think we've maybe seen uh, similar moves to what India are doing and, and I guess their approach is basically saying either you make your smartphones here in India or you pay quite a big import. Tax to bring your product in from other markets, and Brazil have uh, taken a somewhat similar approach in some areas. I'm not sure specifically whether smartphones is is within that realm, but I, I know uh, Brazil, you know, and again they've got a big, a really big scale, not quite the the same scale as India, uh, but they, you know, they're able to. Um, Dictate a, a little bit, and that's why we, you know, we see, you know, probably um, a higher level of manufacturing maybe uh, in Brazil, and then there would be otherwise because they're, they're really trying to encourage that uh, happening locally. So, yeah, seeing that, um, yeah, Foxconn, who are Apple's uh, manufacturing uh, partner, basically starting to, you know, assemble iPhones there is, um, is an interesting move, and. I think, yeah, part of a trend that we are seeing, which is uh, a lowering of reliance on China to do all manufacturing for everybody. It wasn't that long ago. It was you know, pretty much guaranteed. You know, anything that was being manufactured, it seemed to be in China. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, you know, if we look back, uh, I don't know where you draw the timelines exactly, but you know, certainly... You know, when I was growing up, so much technology and, I don't know, um, plastic and those sorts of goods was coming out of Taiwan, right, and now... Yeah, Taiwan. It's it's too expensive to get things made there, so it's moved to China. But now we're we're starting to see it maybe fragment up a little bit more, which it's probably got some you know some reasonably positive flow on. So, you know, I think that the the world doesn't have all its eggs in in one basket from a manufacturing perspective.
1: Yeah, and you wonder what the background for India is if it's related to the the China uh, conflict at the moment. If that's a factor, just like with them banning uh, you know forty odd apps mm. with Chinese backing, or if this is just the nature of protecting their their industry and forcing production to come through
0: yeah 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 um- and I know just um, that there has been some assembly of some of the, the lower-end uh, iPhones in the past in India, and it does seem to be that its assembly, It's you know, still China is a very, very important part of the, the supplies chain, so it's not as though um, that's completely changing, and, and I don't think probably could change for, you know, that these sorts of things take a long time to yeah. change, don't they? Yeah. Uh, now, on um, looking at things locally, I saw news through from uh, Dawn... Aerospace. Now, you've chatted to the the Dawn Aerospace uh, folks, right? We haven't had them on the show yet. We probably you definitely pro- should pro- probably need yeah. to. Um, but they're doing some amazing uh, work, uh, both in New Zealand and uh, and in the the Netherlands. They're sort of operating between, uh, I think that you know the two locations, um, but headquartered out of Christchurch, and they've um, unveiled um, a suborbital space plane today. Uh, called their Mark II Aurora, um, and they're saying this is ahead of an intensive 12 month uh, flight test campaign. Uh, which yeah looks looks pretty exciting and it's a forerunner to their, their mark uh, 3 which is you know I think going to be their really you know, serious um, offering to really you know commercialize what, what they're doing um, but the um, this plane the mark two, is going to be capable of flights uh, they're saying um, to above a hundred kilometer Altitude, which is very much uh, the border of space, which is yeah, is very very cool. Now um I guess the 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 thing about their planes is they're they're more um, I guess drones than traditional uh, planes, aren't they? I mean they they look like a, a sort of a, a variation. Um, yeah, between a you know traditional sort of I guess military drone that we've seen in the past, you know, not a manned drone, uh, and I guess you could say a space shuttle, and that you know they are you know they are able to uh, get up very very high, and um, you know I think uh, you know in the future the the aim with the uh, certainly with the Mark three um, will be around delivering um, satellites up into orbit, and they're talking sort of fifty a hundred kilogram uh, satellite so that's still puts pretty them, decent that's yeah. pretty cool yeah mm. I mean that puts them on something of a of a um uh, a collision course um, with Rocket Lab. So <laughs> uh, slightly, you know, there's a there's a potential, you know, crossover, and um, you know, in terms of what they what they're doing, I'm sure there there'll probably be a, a difference in which you know which customers would f- suit uh, each business. But it's certainly a very much a sign of the sort of acceleration we're seeing around being able to get uh, get the satellites up uh, into space at um, you know ever decreasing costs yeah uh, very very cool uh, now uh, oh, the, the last one I wanted just to just to um, touch on locally was this uh, uh, news piece around uh, sea Lord uh, being fined and the headline I read was sort of highlighting a uh, the, the particular fine that they had um Had received, which uh, wasn't a large amount of money. I think it was twenty four thousand dollars, and that was kind of the big part of the uh, the headline. Um, But also tucked into the headline was that they forfeited a vessel, and so I delved a little a little bit deeper into this, and I thought, well, I wonder whether you know was this a big deal? What's you know what's the value of this vessel, and could technology uh, you know play a part in it? And sure enough, the the big part was that this vessel was worth sixteen million dollars, um, and really, what you know, what had happened for Sea Lord there was they, you know, they hadn't stayed within these sort of, um, you know, I guess somewhat sort of virtual boundaries because mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, there's no big uh, painted mark on the uh, on the ocean telling you where you can and can't go, um, but yeah, pretty amazing that. Uh, yeah you know, an organization with with an asset like that that must have understood the implications of um, yeah basically fishing you know within areas that they're they're not uh, supposed to not supposed to be um could have some pretty big implications for them, yeah, and um, I guess with technology
1: nowadays it's Pretty unbelievable to think that they didn't know exactly where they were on a map.
0: Yeah, so looking at this, you know, it was it was around the incident um, was between the 26th and the 28th of October 2018. So we're not talking, you know, a long, long time ago. And there's talk now. Oh, now we have available the um, the technology that would, uh, you know, will sound alarms and alert us if we go outside the area, but. I mean that wouldn't have been you know i wouldn't have i wouldn't have thought it would have been too hard to have had that technology in in place at that point in time. there must have been i mean I can I only can imagine some disconnect between those that understood the legal ramifications of you know fishing in the wrong area and those with the uh, you know, technological now to under, understand look, if it's going to cost us this much mm. then, you know if you, you go to your uh, you know Whether it's internal or or external, sort of technologists, and say, hey, we've got this risk; it could cost us a huge amount of money uh, if we go and fish in the wrong areas. Is there a solution? Yeah. Um, Well, the answer is
1: absolutely yes, but I
0: mean, you know, when we've had airplanes
1: go missing in the last five years, we still can't believe that you're not tracking. You know, a hundred million dollar (laughs) airplane, or whatever it is. So, um, yeah. So, I think there are realities in those industries in terms of cost, and obviously, this has been a pretty costly exercise. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But sometimes there's, there's, yeah, maybe things are just the the way they've always has been. They always have been, and yeah, things aren't necessarily getting communicated or elevated in terms of in terms of importance. Because if if this has happened now, presumably it's been a risk for. Yeah, for for some time, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, those are the those are the sort of the, the news things of the week. Um, I'm keen to really delve in with you a little bit around, um, you know, what's happening in the robotics world. It was uh, a great privilege to come by your office last week and uh, you know meet some of the team and uh, you know see a little bit of the the work that you're uh, doing. And you know, of course, your uh, Boston Dynamics uh, uh, Spot uh, robots. Uh, you've I think you've got a couple of those in New Zealand, so. Yeah. Uh, it was great to um, you know get hands on, as it were, and, and uh, uh, see the the technology in action. Um, but I thought it'd be it'd be good to maybe just sort of you know hear from from you as someone who's been you know really embedded in this robotics space now for um, well I guess how long have you been running with Rocos? Co- couple of years, two and a half, just two over and two and a half, half years. Yeah. 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 Um, and what were you doing before that that really sort of you know sparked the idea to start up? Um, Costs. Yeah, well, my co-founder and I have actually
1: worked together on and off for about 20 years and our area of specialisation is really in cloud architecture and building big scalable cloud systems. So uh, cloud infrastructure has matured significantly in the last 10 years. And uh, we were building robots for fun in our garages, as you do uh, in the technology industry. And the first thing as a cloud architect you want to do with your lawnmower robot that you've just made is to be able to connect it from your phone. And going through the tech stack and learning about robotics, you suddenly realize that uh, the robotics that's been built has been built by Mechatronics Engineers, AI experts, and uh, they really haven't had to invest a lot of time and money in the ability to connect that robot to any third-party system. And uh, for us, we looked forward and said, "Look, where is the industry heading with autonomous robotics? You know, you will be seeing robots doing last-mile delivery, little buggies bringing you pizza. There'll be drones doing deliveries. There'll be, you know, survey robots. There'll be um, uh, agricultural robots. There'll be, you know, cleaning robots and airports. There'll be security robots and." Uh, It's an inevitability that this is coming. And the question was, you know, we thought it was relatively obvious you'd need a central system to connect those robots, monitor them from a remote location, and be able to control and coordinate them from that central system. And then further out than that is how do you integrate those robots with existing digital systems? And so at that point, we realized that this was really uh, something that was going to come in the future. And we were quite uniquely placed understanding robotics plus cloud. Infrastructure on actually creating a business out of it um, and raise some money and launch the business. Yeah.
0: How hard was it to raise that money initially? I think when you and I were chatting, yeah, you, know, you said you you had that challenge that you know you were asked, well, who else is there in in this field? And that's you know something of a validation uh, for you know venture capitalists as well. Does anybody else see this as important? Yeah. Or are, or are you dreaming? And it, you know I think at that stage maybe you couldn't name any other uh, you know competitors. In no,
1: not case. at that stage. Um, yeah, there were people nibbling on the edges of 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 that but but not complete match uh, competitors. I think New Zealand's lucky in that early stage investment. We've got uh, a very generous angel ecosystem uh, and it was Icehouse Ventures that stood up. Uh, Robbie Paul from Icehouse Ventures that uh, put me in front of initially Tahu'a, which is one of their funds. Yes. And uh, I was just at a barbecue with him and I said, how early is too early? And he said, well... Come and pitch, and we'll find out. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, we joined an accelerator there called Flux uh, at the Ice House. And um, yeah, and basically been growing from there. And I think I say generous because I think in the very early days of a business venture like that, even now, uh, we are quite early. So two and a half years ago, we were even more early uh, than that. And I think if you look at the angel investors in New Zealand, I think there is definitely this aspect of, yeah, we'd love to get a return at some point. Uh, maybe, hopefully, maybe ten years, maybe fifteen. Yeah. They're pretty realistic about that. But on the on the flip side, they often successful entrepreneurs that have made some money internationally and are giving back to the community. And they're saying, on the one hand, we'd love to make some money. This is part of kind of a hobby that we have. But on the other hand, it's about uh, stimulating the economy, uh, backing you know young entrepreneurs to create businesses. And uh, so New Zealand's quite lucky from that perspective to do really early stage ventures. You know? Yeah,
0: that's great. And I think the Boston Dynamics uh, you know technology has has caught a lot of attention over the last few years with the videos that they've shared online. Um, what was the? You know, how did it come about that you were able to actually get some of their, uh, their tech here? Is this a, a line that they've crossed in terms of starting to um, you know make this tech available more broadly? Uh, was it a funding thing? How did that sort of combination come, come together?
1: Yeah, so we uh, have actually, are working with an international energy company that's doing inspection uh, with a Boston Dynamics uh, robots and in the early days when we were pitching for that work, we actually actually reached out to Boston Dynamics and actually said, look, we have this platform that connects and monitors robots from a remote location. We're pitching for this work, uh, which is related to your robots and we're quite keen to be part of your ecosystem. And so we had a few calls with them and this is just pre-COVID lockdown. Uh, We actually went out to Europe for the pitch and have actually, you know, won that work in Europe around the energy company. But uh, as part of that trip, coming home to New Zealand, kind of being chased by COVID from Italy to Spain to the U.S., uh, we managed to get our training uh, in Boston Dynamics. They accepted us into the early developer program uh, because of the work we were doing with them and uh, managed to get hold of these two spot robots as part of that. So at that point, you were required to go on training in Boston. So we rerouted the flights, went via Boston, uh, did the training. um, And then shortly after that, we were basically literally a couple of weeks before lockdown, the, the spot robots arrived. So we actually had them during that lockdown period, which was pretty fantastic. And Boston Dynamics, similar to DJI, thinks about the ecosystem in terms of letting third party developers innovate on top of their platform. They're not trying to solve every problem for their customer. They actually want to say, we have a world class platform that's the most flexible, cost-effective platform for these tasks, and we want the software and hardware ecosystem to evolve around us. So they're an incredibly supportive partner in that journey. And uh, because uh, our platform, we could, within days, integrate with their robot, we had their entire engineering team um Controlling the spot dog I had with me down in the Bay of Plenty, uh, and they were walking around this avocado orchard from Boston, all locked down in their houses. Wow! Uh, and that was a pretty exciting experience for them and and for us working with them.
0: Yeah, so they wouldn't have had that type of uh, control normally in the past. No. but you know, through your platform, they were they were able to tap right in. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really neat. And the video that uh, that you shared, I think it, you know, had over a million views in, in quite a short space of time. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I guess the you know the, a big highlight was uh, was was seeing uh, a Boston Dynamics uh, Spot robot there acting as a uh, as a sheepdog.
1: Yeah, oh, <laughs> oh that was that was great
0: fun. <laughs> That was
1: that was great. Yeah, so with with the, with the with the with Spot, we thought we needed to be testing Spot in as many situations as we could: construction yeah. inspection and agritech is an obvious one in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, being down in the Bay of Plenty just before lockdown, we got to do some shooting on a kiwi fruit orchard and um, also wanting to test it out on a sheep and beef station and luckily enough my wife's parents have a beautiful farm down in Gisborne where we were able to let spot loose and yeah. chase some sheep around um, <laughs> and I think anyone uh, you know that comes from a city just seeing hundreds of sheep being herded by the actual dogs is impressive enough, never mind actually seeing how the the, the robotic dog could behave and for us all of those scenarios in robotics is just about experimentation what is the robot capable of and to be honest, we had really low expectations. Uh, would it be able to handle the terrain? Would it run out of battery life? What happens when it hits a thistle? You know, uh, you know, how would the dogs behave? All of these types of scenarios. And I think everyone was shocked at how well it actually performed in that environment. Uh, yeah, we definitely... I, didn't,
0: I didn't see it yelping when it stood on a thistle.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it did get stuck behind thistles because I wasn't sure if they were solid structures or not. So right, it was yeah. pretty apprehensive to the thistles. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think there were some really interesting outputs from that, uh, Firstly, uh, domestic dogs really hate Spot. They do not trust Spot at all. They recognise it as something similar to them, but different to them, and very threatening. Uh, Sheep dogs see machines all day, every day, and they didn't even blink once at the wow. at Spot. And wow. there was really fascinating things like that, putting Spot into that environment. That um, they were basically just collaborative from day one, and they know how to work around dangerous machines. So it was fantastic to see, and it handled the terrain, you know, absolutely perfect. And, you know, we had a lot of inbound uh, communication happen, people saying to us, you know, can't believe you're going to replace the dogs. Um, and one of them was actually a professor uh, who had actually, she had actually done her master's in herd logic. And she said to us, I've got an algorithm I built 10 years ago, which was literally to do with uh, this concept of sheepdog agents and sheep agents. Would you like it? Wow. <laughs> so we haven't implemented it yet, but it's amazing to that 10 years ago, these algorithms were being built for... Um, you know, simulated situations like this.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, when we look at the role of uh, robotics within you know, society, within you know uh, business and at varying sectors, we're on what seems to be a really long, you know, long journey. Yeah, well, look back. We've had our, you know, dishwashers and washing machines and so on for, you know, for a, for a very long time. Those ones, of course, just so broadly relevant, and you know what they do has has been. Yeah, very, very sort of structured. It you know, it does this. Something spins around, a bit of water comes out, and you know whatnot. You know, hardly a hardly a robot in the sort of in the sense of something with, with a whole lot of smarts. Um, but yeah, useful all the same. But we've got you know this journey of getting from where we are now, where there are sort of robots starting to appear, and and you know, I guess you know, new areas appearing in uh, you know, hotel delivery robots and things like that. We've got drones and and the like. But it does seem as though there's quite a quite a long journey from this point to where where we might sort of see what we've seen in, in science fictions in terms of you know walking talking uh, robots that can do you know virtually any any sort of physical task a, a human uh, can do. But maybe you can you know walk us through what you see as those sort of next few uh, phases over you know over the next few years and where you you would expect to see your technology Getting utilized. For instance, who who would uh, who would you be who would be your customers right now? What would people be wanting to yeah. use your technology for? Is it sort of you know practical uses where they can go out and solve problems today, or is it, is it much more uh, you know that, that proof of concept and, and and sort of early testing phase and getting some you know familiarity with uh, with what might happen as the hardware gets more developed.
1: Yeah, I think, um, so as, as you mentioned, there's certain robots, like even take an elevator, it's a robot, and you're quite comfortable to climb inside the robot and allow it to drop you five stories and decide when to break and all of these things. So we've had relationships with robots that didn't necessarily look humanoid or like an animal for, for a while. Uh, but the progression has been quite slow since the elevator was invented. We didn't make much progress for a long period of time around it. And uh, I think the big difference with the robotics now is them being able to operate in unknown environments, and elevator. A, um, a washing machine—it it operates in a very known environment and it's got a very specific purpose. So, so we really classify our software generally useful for mobile robotics. So, generally, it's got legs, wheels, rotors, propellers, some, something of that that sense, um, and. In order to operate in an unknown environment, it needs sensors, it needs input, it needs vision systems, it needs sonar, it needs LIDAR, it needs all of these kind of inputs. In the last 10 years, there have been massive breakthroughs in machine learning uh, and AI systems that allow these robots much more effectively and much more cost effectively to actually navigate their environments. And that's one of the big breakthroughs, really, that's enabled this. So very cost effectively with $1,000 worth of hardware, you can have a pretty sophisticated robot that can navigate its environment. And the question then, uh, you know, we talk about PhDs have spent the last 10 years in the lab trying to get this robot to A, not fall on its face, B, yeah. navigate an environment and not bump into things. And um, now we can do those pretty effectively, and very safely. And uh, just look at your Tesla, you know, it can navigate pretty safely and on its own, and if not more safely than a human driver. So the question now is how can you um, add components to these robots to make them generally useful? And so obviously, last mile delivery is a very big category around having rovers and drones actually delivering goods. You know, the total addressable market in that industry is absolutely humongous. But they struggle from the fact that you're trying to put a robot in an environment that's difficult to change. So you have a robot that has to uh, not run over people on the sidewalk or actually work alongside bicycles and vehicles and cross roads and respond to traffic lights. So those environments come with uh, legal uh, constraints. They come with health and safety concerns. So So the bar is exponentially higher to get robots operating in those public environments that are difficult to change for robots. And so what we are seeing is where robots have had in the last year a huge explosion in terms of uh, commercialization and, and rollout is in much more controlled environments. Uh, we talk about agriculture being a really perfect environment to sure. experiment in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people know how to deal with dangerous machines. Uh, you know, in a, in a farming environment, if a tractor rides over your foot, it's pretty much your fault, not the tractor's. Uh, you were just in the way, and you shouldn't have been. Whereas if a robot drives over your foot in the sidewalk, it's definitely the robot's fault. Uh, yeah. So. So agriculture has some interesting characteristics, but also some challenges around robots. Um, if there's only a seasonal reason for the robot to exist, what do you do with it in the other part of the year? Um, and then just generally indoors. So obviously Warehouse Robotics has had this uh, you know, in the last 10 years, looking at Amazon and what they can do with Warehouse Robotics. It's a known environment. It's a health and safety lockdown environment. It's a flat surface floor. Uh, it's a well-mapped environment. Um, and these robots can be incredibly efficient. So- moving on from that, things like cleaning robots uh, have, are starting to have a big uptake um, uh, in the industry. Known environments, they can operate either with humans around or you can run them when the humans aren't in the you know, uh, airport or shopping mall or uh, supermarket or something like that. So uh, security robots are becoming more and more popular now, which is effectively just a security camera on wheels. Uh, and again, you've got machine learning algorithms that can identify if people should or shouldn't be in certain zones. So security is a fantastic application Uh, for robotics, which is taking off. The other big one we're seeing now is in hospitals. And hospitals have a number of use cases where there's a lot of uh, tasks that skilled people are doing that is kind of unskilled labor. So um, taking linen from a specific room in the hospital and taking it to be be washed. Uh, So linen delivery robots. Uh, The sterile equipments are going from the room that actually sterilizes the equipment to the surgery room uh, is a requirement. Drug delivery robots, that'll go to a pharmacy on site and actually get an accurate uh, you know, prescription for a patient and take it to to the patient's room. And it's also dramatically improving the quality of uh, the delivery. You're getting far less um, mistakes being made by the system. Uh, and soon you can start tying these automations together. So not only at the pharmacy, is, it's not necessarily a human giving the drug dispensing to the robot. It could be a robot arm taking the drugs out of a dispensing unit, packaging it, giving it to the robot. So Very quickly, it starts looking like quite a futurist scenario. And you're starting to literally design hospitals with extra lanes uh, and lanes deliberately for robots. They're putting extra Wi-Fi and connectivity infrastructure into hospitals to accommodate these types of scenario. You actually start getting congestion problems. uh, And there's a Changi uh, hospital in Singapore has has had to build algorithms to deal with congestion with their robots because – Three robots need to get through the same corridor and they have to, you know, find out who's going to go first. So, so those areas are starting to absolutely take off. And what we're finding is uh, in the verticals where you start getting traction, the acceleration happens far quicker than people think it would. But the areas where they haven't got traction yet, you know, like last mile delivery or autonomous taxis, it takes way longer than people think. But it'll be one of those overnight explosions that when it does take off in those verticals, it'll be a very quick transition because
0: you know inevitably the numbers have stacked up for that for that vertical and the that's safety right. issues have yeah. been taken care of. Yeah. When when the numbers sort of stack up it's uh, it becomes hard to do anything else, right? Yeah. It's it's that thing if you're gonna be disrupted if you don't get on get on board quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh that's that's really interesting. And um when you, know, when you look at the sorts of, are those areas that you've mentioned areas that, that ROCOS is, in, is involved in right now, those are the sorts of areas you're yep. getting involved in? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. But, I mean, we have other categories like biosecurity with boats. They have autonomous boats that can actually uh, manage marine sanctuaries and actually monitor if anyone's in the marine sanctuary that shouldn't be there. Those boats can live out in the ocean for months at a time using solar and those types of energy sources. And uh, other industries like agriculture, obviously, we do a lot of work in Australia in agriculture and mining uh, in the robotic space. And in the Nordic regions, there's drones monitoring uh, shipyards uh, as well. So there's this massive variety of of autonomous robots. And I think one of the early questions when we founded the company was, just like in the drone industry, would you land up with a provider like DJI that owns 80% of the industry? Would you land up with a rover platform that's 80% of the market? And it turns out the answer is no. There's a very wide, Variety of robots, and I kind of talk about the analogy of mobile apps. You know, in the old BlackBerry days, it's like how many apps could you possibly use? You know, email, calendar, maybe a snake game, and then you start running out of options. Whereas now, there's hundreds of thousands of quality apps in the app store. And with mobile robots, every week we we see robots that we never thought, you know, we didn't even conceive. Um, they chasing chickens and stopping them laying eggs in certain parts of a the barn. They're uh, chasing geese off of um, private. Estates in Minneapolis so that the geese don't mess on the lawn. Yeah. Uh, they're, 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 there's just this massive variety of robotics. And because the price is coming down so dramatically, uh, you can put them into these incredible scenarios.
0: Yeah, and I guess that you know the great thing about doing the software lab, you know, which you're you're doing, you know, that that can scale infinitely, right? And uh, you know, if you're if you're making the the robots, and particularly if your software can work with all of them, which is, is I guess your your approach, right? Which is to work with as many vendors as possible. Yeah, there there's a you know a degree of there being a you know a race to the bottom on, on on pricing, and I'm sure you know the best uh, the best robots. Most reliable, you know, safest, most you know, well built, and so on. You know, are always going to command a, a premium, and there'll be premium brands as as, as we've um, the, you know, I guess seen in in, in other sectors. Mm. But uh, um, if you can have that sort of software piece and and get a reasonable uh, chunk of that market, then uh, you know that's a that's a pretty ex- exciting business, I think, long term.
1: Yeah, and we talk about advantages and disadvantages of being in New Zealand, and you know, certain countries like China would have a massive advantage in access to hardware expertise and building uh, you know, the robots and manufacturing them at low cost and things like that so uh, it's obviously possible to build robotics from New Zealand but it just increases the the, 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 the scale and problems that you face uh, in distribution and, and those types of challenges and obviously in software New Zealand does very well creating enterprise software for the world and um, so yeah so we, we love being here and being able to do that and we don't have logistics problems Getting our software out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Um, and and you know, can you speak to? I guess the the geopolitical issues that we you know we we have been seeing in terms of you know do do you see you know companies having you know concern around buying you know robotic technology from you know from one market or another in terms of you know are they going to have complete control is it going to be you know are these robots going to be you know spying on them you know etc etc is that is that a concern or is it or is it such that you know, the the, the um, you know, ability of the technology is really able to be entirely managed through, you know, through your tools, and, and therefore doesn't really matter. It's not going to make any difference where, you know, where the robot was sort of manufactured. How does that sort of side of it play out?
1: Yeah, I think all of those are concerns. I think those concerns are not getting taken as uh, seriously yet. But I think as soon as big Fortune 500 enterprises start adopting robotics more aggressively, uh, the companies will have to be making a lot of those decisions. And we see a bit of that. So, for example, the hotel delivery robot industry out of China, it's already a very mature market. You can trip, you know, half the hotels in Shanghai will have uh, delivery robots. You just, and when they sell into uh, Western hotels in the U.S., the concern of a robot having a camera and actually being able to film your guests is a massive privacy concern. And it's not even that film being accessible to a specific nation. It's about can a hacker get access to the, the video. So, so those robots have been, you know, future generations of those robots are built without cameras. Literally, there's no hardware. It's LiDAR and laser and, and those kinds of technologies so that you can't even capture that type of data. Uh, and secondly, yes, for companies like us, we're the ones monitoring and coordinating the activities of the robot. So the robot is whitelisted to only communicate with our platform. We have a partnership with Microsoft. We host in Azure. So there's very tight control around where the data can actually be sent out and communicate, which um, alleviates some of those concerns. But obviously, if you look at the US military banning DJI use in, in some of those applications, uh, those are going to just continuously be, be concerns.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And um, just lastly, if we've got you know listeners that are wanting to uh, maybe get a bit of you know hands-on time with uh, with with some uh, robotics, and they're wondering you know where where to get started. What's your uh, recommendation on that front? Yeah,
1: uh, and we spoke about this the other day. And I, you know, the first thing I said is really uh, go and do the research on building your own robot. And I recommend a drone as a really great fun project to build. Uh, you know, for a hundred dollars, you can get all the components you possibly need off, off AliExpress or one of these and have them delivered in a couple of weeks and, and get to it in a summer holiday with with your kids or etc. Uh, the only downside of it is that research is hard. Uh, you yeah. actually need to trawl geek websites looking for tutorials on what components you need. You need to learn about voltage. You need to learn about control systems. Uh, and I think it's a great example of where the robotics industry is at. It is it is very hard. Uh, and uh, in the robotics uh, software industry, uh, you know the robotics teams always say that um, everything is hard and, and we've just seen everything we do is the same. So So, so go ahead and do that. The, the easy option is go buy one of the new LEGO Mindstorm kits, but it's very much a filtered down experience. Yeah, <laughs> of what yeah. real robotics is about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, that's uh, that's fascinating. Um, it's been been fantastic to chat, David. Yeah. Um, and now I want to uh, give a huge uh, show of appreciation to our show uh, partners: uh, Sumo Logic, uh, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, Samsung, Gorilla Technology, uh, and of course our uh, headline partner, Umbrella. Connect. Who, uh, who? If you look on their uh, their website, they're, uh, they're they're pulling together, uh, you know, more uh, content on the tech front uh, every day. So it's interesting to uh, to really see that uh, that that platform uh, get kicked off here in New Zealand. Um, so thanks everybody for uh, for listening in, and thanks David for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, where do people track you down if they want to get a bit more uh, get a bit more information? Um, is your website the best on our place? Website?
1: The cool. website yep. is up and running, and uh, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn if anyone wants to talk to me personally.
0: Excellent, that's great. Thanks, David. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next week. See ya. New Zealand's tech podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.